And good morning to all of you. This is Healing for Church Orphans. We're continuing on where we were last week. I'm, I'm John. I'm pastor, teacher, chaplain here at Abundant Hope Christian Center in Downey, California in the United States. So I want us to start where we sort of left off last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We've been talking about prophesying. And the bottom line is, we've all been called to prophesy. And prophesy may mean just simply reading the word of God out loud. As I was mentioning to this class before I started recording, there would be a boy in the synagogue and he'd have a bar mitzvah at age 13 and the girl would have a bat mitzvah at age 13 where they become a man and a woman. And one of the responsibilities and privileges is to read the word of God out loud. To read the Torah. <coughs> Maybe you've seen, <coughs> excuse me, I got to wash this down. Pardon me. You've seen at the Western Wailing Wall in Jerusalem pictures of people bobbing back and forth and having a prayer book in front of them. Well, this prayer book is filled with mostly the Psalms, and they're reading, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he leadeth me besides the still waters and green chapters. This is what we call meditating. Joshua would speak of it in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that we are to meditate on the word day and night. To meditate in the Hebrew means to mutter. So that's what you see them at the Western Wall, muttering the word of God, speaking the word. The Eastern philosophy religion says, Meditation could be silent or just by speaking some noise like om or whatever. But for the Christian and the Jew <coughs> to meditate into the word, meditate the word is to prophesy, to speak the word of God. Sometimes you're speaking about the future. The Lord will give you a vision and you will speak it out loud, usually in a gathering of believers. And it could be a warning that something is coming. Uh, I was mentioning to this group that in 1988, I was at a grocery store and suddenly it hit me to pray for Tel Aviv. Now, Tel Aviv is the largest Jewish city in the world. Six million Jews live in Tel Aviv. That's more than New York City. That's more than Los Angeles, more than any city in the world. And I just saw in my spirit missiles striking Tel Aviv. This would happen later on in 1991, if you remember, during when uh, Saddam Hussein took over Kuwait and was firing missiles at Tel Aviv. Thank God the missiles did not have poison. Thank God they were, didn't have nuclear warheads. They just had normal munitions and they exploded into parts of Tel Aviv. But I saw that in 1988 in my spirit and I started praying that whenever I would have a prayer group back then, when I was teaching the word, pray for the city of Tel Aviv. And that could still happen. I mean, six million Jews died in the Holocaust. If a nuclear warhead was to hit today, six million Jews would die again. It is a Holocaust in the city of Tel Aviv if a nuclear weapon was to take that city out. And of course, we'd have World War III a nuclear war. 
And by the way, if when, when we do have World War III, it'll be the shortest. It won't take long. And other cities in the Middle East will be in play. And it, but it's, it, it could still happen. But the Lord called me and gave me a strong vision. I mean, interrupted me at the meat counter at Ralph's is one of the last places you'd think of. But there I was, and I just stopped and started praying. We can be given those visions, and we can prophesy warnings to a people, to a church, to an individual, to a nation, and we could prophesy. That's part of being a believer in Christ and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. We could speak his word and we could speak a word from him. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I have to turn there myself. This is what Paul said as he spoke about first uh, speaking in tongues, speaking in another language, and he compared and contrasted it to prophesying. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Yeah, it's right on the board here. And you know what? I may have written it down incorrectly. I don't mean chapter 4, forgive me. 14. Yes, it's 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to change what I put on the board. That happens once in a while. I get the numbers wrong. But it's chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 4. And let's take a look at it. Paul tells the church, the believers in Corinth, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Verse three, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Well, what does that mean to edify? To edify means, and I wrote this down, it means to instruct or improve someone morally or intellectually. That you, someone has spoken to you the word of God and it has improved you morally or intellectually. Morally, how you behave. Intellectually, how you've learned, how you've processed what you've been told in the word of God. And here he says, it is better. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation. Exhortation is encouragement. It is also warning. And comfort, well, that's easy. We are comforted by the reading of the word of God. Have you noticed, if those of you who are older believers, years ago when you would go to church on Sunday, everyone would have the same Bible, usually King James, and he would say, we're going to speak the word of God. I'm going to speak the odd-numbered verses, and the rest of you are going to speak the even-numbered verses. I grew up in a church like that. And everyone at least had a Bible in front of them in the pew, that was like King James. Everyone had the same translation. So we could do it together. Well, there's a reason why people speak the word of God. It edifies, it exhorts, and it comforts. It handles our emotional health. It is 
there to warn us or to encourage us if we're going through a tough trial and comfort. I always think when we've lost a loved one, to hear the word of God spoken out is comfort. Have you ever noticed when you've gone to funerals, especially of a believer, more often than not, they'll read from Psalm 23. Isn't that something? Because Psalm 23 is not written to those who have passed away. They're gone. They can't hear it. But those who are there, who are listening, these people who've lost a loved one, they are in the valley of the shadow of death. When someone dies, it literally has a physical, emotional impact on us, doesn't it? It just, you know, we're rejoicing if they're in heaven, if they're a believer, but at the same time, you can't speak to them anymore. So Psalm 23 is read because he is the good shepherd. He brings his sheep to safety. And one of the places of safety is heaven. He's brought his sheep home. And that's comforting. And oftentimes we'll hear Psalm 23 around what they call Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, Good Friday, because he's the good shepherd of the sheep. And I think in Hebrew it is El Roi, the Lord, the shepherd. Our, 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 he's our shepherd. So here we see is that it edifies, it exhorts, and it is comforting. So let's keep going here. Verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. This is a picture of a group of believers together and someone literally just takes the word, just takes a scroll, takes up the Torah or the Psalms and reads it out loud. If I spoke in a tongue, another language, I'm just edifying myself. I'm lifting myself up. I'm encouraging myself. But when I read the word of God out loud, like you do back and forth, odd verses, even verses, odd verse, even verse, it changes the atmosphere in that room. It changes it. And so you're lit, everyone is encouraged or they're warned or they're comforted in this difficult time. Let's continue and finish up here. Verse five, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. The bottom line is the church, not just me, is to be edified, to be encouraged, to be strengthened emotionally, intellectually, within. That's the key. Why I would stand up and the pastor would stand up and read the odd verses and the congregation would read the even-numbered verses. It is to the power of the word of God to change us on the inside and to lift us up. I wish, you know, maybe we should do that again. But you know what I would have to do? I would have to have photocopies of the word and it has to be in the same translation. In this room, 
I know there's New King James, there's a New King James, one over there, but I may have an NIV over here or a King James or even a Santa Biblia over here. And we've all got to be on the, literally the same page. But maybe we should do that and experiment with that and see as we read in the Psalms, even-numbered verses, odd-numbered verses, and see what it does. We know how the atmosphere can change in a room when we're singing praises to God. We know that. Everything changes. But here, by reading the Word of God, if you're in depression, if you're under attack, if you don't have the rent ready, if you don't have the mortgage ready, or the car payment, or the marriage is falling apart, or whatever it is, you get together, turn everything off, and read the Word of God. I go to the Psalms more often than not, but anything. You might just say, I want to read the red, the red verses in Mark, or Luke, the words of Jesus. Just those. Watch what happens. Watch what happens when everything changes. There is just peace that passes all understanding. And here we see, I, by, by just reading the word, it's better than speaking in a tongue. When someone speaks in a tongue, they're, they're considered very spiritual, right? Even though it's the Holy Spirit doing it through them. But he says, it is better you to read the word out loud. You'll edify the church and that's the main goal. Whether you speak in tongues or whether you just prophesy. The main goal here at the very end here is that the church may receive edification. And again, it means to instruct or improve someone morally or intellectually. And remember what we talked about last week in 1 Chronicles 25. David wrote in the first eight verses how they were to have worship in the tabernacle and later the temple. David was on his deathbed and he was organizing the men of the tribe of Judah, the men on how they're to worship in turn. And he said the teacher and the student are on the same level. Everyone is required on a 24-7 basis to worship the Lord in the temple that David would build. I'm sorry, Solomon would build. David's son, Solomon. Did you know David had 20 sons? I'm doing, a, I'm doing a book, another book, on Psalm 119. And most people agree David wrote that long psalm. 176 verses. Eight verses, a section. All delineated by the Hebrew alphabet. 22 sections. 22 Hebrew, letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And I thought, well, he must be writing this to his sons, obviously. If he was instructing them to worship in 1 Chronicles 25, then I looked it up. I didn't know this. I've been teaching the word for 34 years. David had at least 20 sons and maybe more because we don't know about all the concubines. He had multiple wives at the same time. And he was a man after God's own heart. Wow, wow. I mean, that just blows me away. That's astounding. They do mention a few daughters, by the way. Tamar and what happened to her, which was not good. But 20 sons. 
No wonder when he died there was competition on who would be the next king. There was 20 to choose from. And Solomon was not the firstborn son. Solomon came from Bathsheba. And she was, well, okay. She was the one bathing out in public, enticing the king. Anyway. Uh, 20 sons. Himself. Yeah. <laughs> she, she did her own business in her Sure. But you know what? Solomon, the next king, he had the same problem. Multiple wives, concubines, more children than he could count. It was, it's, it, it started then. And what eventually happened as a, as the years went by, it brought the kingdom down. God, I mean, he gives us freedom of choice, but he also gives us freedom of consequences. How do you take care of 20 wives? I think one's enough. Really, one's more than enough. She'll keep you, your schedule filled. Anyway, so that is what we were talking about last week. In Acts 2, people prophesied and spoke in tongues when the Spirit fell at Pentecost. We know that this is going to happen today because in Joel chapter 2, Joel, the prophet Joel prophesied, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, what would happen in the last days. And those of you who've got a table of contents in the front of your Bible, go to the book of Joel. Is it easy to find? No, it's a little book. It's a little book in the midst Amos and Hosea, and as I'm digging for it myself, it is the little book of Joel, but it is powerful in that it does prophesy, it does predict for this day. And I'm trying to find it right now, and maybe I have to go to the table of contents if I don't find it soon. Joel, right? Oh, thank you. Just before Amos, uh -huh. if you, I'm on Amos. So go back. If you go to Amos, go back one book and you'll find Joel. There it is, thank you. In Joel chapter 2, let's look at verses 28 through 32 and we'll end right here. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. When, now, now think about this for a minute. In those days of Joel, centuries before Christ was born, only the priests could read the word of God out loud. You may have been raised in a Catholic church. You're not allowed to read the word of God. Only the priest is. In the Middle Ages in a Catholic church, they would take the one copy of the Bible and chain it to the pulpit so no one can take it. Do you know why the Baptist church was birthed back in the 1600s? It basically, their basic teaching was this. Male or female, boy or girl, man or woman, you're allowed to have a Bible to own it. They had the printing press in the 1600s and to read it out loud. Don't matter what age. 
And there was a fight over that in the 1600s. So if you, if you have Baptist in your background, that demand that anyone, any of God's children can read the word of God and interpret for themselves that God will speak to them through the word and the spirit. <clears throat> if not for the Baptists, we would not have had the American Revolution because one of the streams of thought that went into the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution was that any free-born man or woman, boy or girl, has rights, and God gave them this rights, not government. And God gives us the right to take the Word of God, the privilege of the Word of God, and prophesy and read it out loud. They knew back then in the 17th century, the 1600s, the power of reading the word of God. And that is what we get mostly from the early roots of the Baptist church. So we thank them for that. Because here comes the beginning of women's right to vote. We've had the women's right to vote for just under a hundred years. I think 1920 was the first election where women in all 48 states only could New vote. Only in New York. It started only in New York and then expanded. And then, actually, you know where it started? In the state of Wyoming. The, 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 uh, where the women were yes. first allowed to vote was the state of yes. New York. And then the amendment that gave women the right to vote came into, for all the states, by 1920. With the exception of black people. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. The, uh, the African Americans generally were denied the right to vote, mostly in the South. I know in places like the northern states, I know black women were allowed to vote. It depended on the state. It depended on the state. Wyoming was first in allowing women to vote. Wyoming was the first state to elect a female governor in the 1920s. Now, it happened because her husband died and they elected her to replace his, during his term. But Wyoming was first. That old frontier state, the frontier mentality, where the women worked with the men and, 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 and building homes and towns and churches and everything, where women were doing the same thing as men. Think of Little House on the Prairie. When you think of that, that's where they originally got the right to vote. So think about that for a minute. But here, out of the Baptist right that they won, and they had wars over this in Europe, and they persecuted them, and there was fights over this. Out of this, that a woman could read the word of God out loud, it was like dominoes. Eventually, by the 1920s in the United States, women had the right to vote. And it starts with the Baptists. It starts with the church. It starts with the Christians. When this country was founded, only white men who owned property and paid taxes were allowed to vote. Well, that was the first domino. After that, you didn't have to own property. After that, you didn't have to always pay so much taxes. After that... There was slavery abolished, and it just one after another. But what is the taproot 
is the Baptist fighting for the right for any born-again human being could read the Word of God. They could own one. Mind you, they had the printing press from the early 1500s. And one of the first things they started printing was the Word of God. Did it take money to own a Bible? You better believe it, because printing was expensive. But look what we have today. An abundance of the Word of God, an abundance of printing that we could even, at our prayer booth on Friday, give away Bibles. The precious Word of God. Let's stop right here. I just want to make sure we got all this in. We'll look at it another time. But the thing is, old Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Why did it say son and daughters? Because they're heavenly father. It's not talking about physical parenting. It's spiritual father. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. A men's servant and a maid servant were common laborers, even slaves. Yeah, we have slavery today around the world. Let's get the uh, communion out and give and rejoice. And if you have sins, you, this is a good place to come before the Lord. If you need healing, this is a good time to come before the Lord. And you take communion with us around the world. If you have just water and bread or cracker or a tortilla, anything, you could take communion. But this power, this authority, this privilege of speaking the word of God, did you know it has been taken away? The reason why the Roman believers were underground, literally in the catacombs, when the Soviet Union took over Eastern Europe, they went after the Christians first. And did you know they, they smuggled in parts of the Bible in home churches in Eastern Europe? They would have a section of Ezekiel. And then they, one person would read it out loud. It was precious to them. One of the first things they did when communists took over in Russia, in China, in Vietnam, in Cuba... When the communists took over is to go after the Christians and get after that Bible. To this day in China, Christians are persecuted. They meet in barns. They meet in homes. They meet out in the woods. And Bibles are smuggled in. And when they find a pastor giving out Bibles, they take him and they torture him. And they torture him electrically. That's about as far as I can mention that because we have ladies present. Serious, and they do it in Cuba the same way, using a, a car battery. And they torture the pastor. So today in the United States, as we worship in freedom, let us take the communion today. Father, we, by your stripes, we are healed. We take the bread, which is Christ, representing Christ, his body, manna from heaven. And by your stripes we are healed to serve you and to glorify you as we re receive today by faith in Jesus' name. And partake right now. Now we take the cup.
Forgive us, Lord. Wash us by your blood. Remove our sins, all unrighteousness. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse our minds so that there is no judgment, no condemnation in our conscience. We are cleansed in our souls and our minds. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit as we prophesy your word and sing praises to you. And fill us again with your Holy Spirit and protect us by your blood as we plead the blood of Jesus around us wherever we live, wherever we worship, wherever we work. Protect us and our families and our congregations by the blood of Jesus as we partake. And now, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as the word says, the Lord's name is upon us and we are blessed to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Go with God. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again.